Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8 as we're starting this series, this new series. We're jumping back into John's gospel under the series title Abide. And we're going to be thinking in this series, uh, Abide, of the surpassing worth of staying close to Jesus. Um, so it's great to be, uh, be, able to be, be able to join you at home looking at this. And let me just say to the folks in the room, it is good to see you. Okay, this is a, a treat uh, to be able to have people in a room where we're preaching. Uh, I know Lee found that last week, and it's such an encouraging thing uh, to be able to start stepping back towards being uh, together. So um, let's delight in that. Let's delight in being able to uh, join together by gathering around about God's Word and see what He has to say. This morning, we're going to think about how Jesus makes us free. Uh, that's really what we're going to think about. So I'm going to, pre- I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at what God's Word has to say to us uh, this morning. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are so thankful to you for what we've just been able to say. Father, we, we long to express in as clear a way as is practically possible for us that we need you. It's not that, we are, that we, you, you would be a matter of convenience for us there like some genie where we would rub the lamp and you would be able to help us. We, we want to express that from the very depths of our hearts that we need you. This isn't just a, it's not just in a passing way, but we need you for the deepest matters of our heart, the, the greatest crises of our soul. We need you in an eternal way. And so, Father, we pray as we gather to consider what it means that, you, that, you, that Jesus has set us free. Father, we pray you would help us today to, to, to rejoice and to draw closer and to cling firmly to him as we see the surpassing worth of staying close to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, so freedoms I miss. It's kind of fun to be back in the building, fun to be back with people. Um, but even that kind of reminds you of some of the things you miss. I miss being able to give folks a hug or a handshake for those who are a little bit more hug-averse. Okay, Graham Henry's there. I know he's been champing at the bit to go around and hug everybody in the room. Okay, I think those of you who know Graham, that's true. And um, I, that's why he gave him the front row seat, really, was it was so he wasn't having to walk past too many people. Um, to be able to do that. We love being able to be, I miss that. I miss uh, being able to smile at people. I don't know if you've had this experience, you're trying, all of a sudden you're trying to make your, make your eyes way more expressive than they ever were before. Is anybody else doing that? You're just like, trying to, you're trying to, yes, I'm smiling, honestly. He's trying to, uh, if you don't have smiley eyes, you're in trouble. If you get deadpan eyes, you're in trouble. Um, I miss um, being together as a church family, as being able to walk past and just be able to express to someone just in small conversations in little ways how much I love them and how much um, I'm longing for their walk with Jesus to be closer. I, I miss singing I, I, with, with everybody together. And um, I could feel almost in the room, I'm not sure it, was the, I'm sure it was the same for the folks last week, almost kind of the, the music playing in the background here and almost how it feels like you need to stop yourself uh, from singing because you just want to join in and be able to sing together. There are things we, we miss. And, and, and in many ways, this year has given us a fresh understanding of, of some of the freedoms that we had to, to we, we, we just took for granted before. Uh, the freedom to, to, to be able to come and go as we please, the freedom to be able to go out for, for, for dinner without having to wear a mask to our table, those, all those kind of things. Um, it's given us a, this year has given us a fresh understanding of freedom. Even last week, uh, we were, as a family, uh, isolating for, for two weeks uh, because Alison came into contact with somebody who had a, uh, a positive COVID test. We were, none of us had symptoms, all of us were well, but still we had to go back into a kind of state of lockdown. And again, you, again, you freshly appreciate even the limited freedoms that you have, have been given back to us after the kind of initial lockdown. You, you miss those things. And um, so we have a fresh understanding of what freedom means really uh, because we've had some of those freedoms lost or suspended at least. 
Um, so, so this morning we're going to think about, as we, we talk about, as Jesus in John 8 talks about freedom, we're going to think about what does it mean to be free. And in and, and a Western democracy such as we live in, there are lots of things we feel as if we're free. Free to choose, free to travel, free to work, free to go on holiday, free to vote, free to marry, free to have an opinion, free to love, all those kind of things. And we celebrate those freedoms uh, and are, we're excited about those things. And in some ways they're part of the fabric of our lives, so we miss them when they seem restricted and some ways. Um, But we like to choose our own freedoms. That's the reality of it. And our logic tends to go like this, that if I follow someone or something or I'm fastened to someone or fenced in by something, then I'm not free. We, we, are free, we feel as if we're free as long as we're following ourselves. That tends to be how we would understand freedom or how we express our freedoms. Yet the, yet the Bible talks about freedom in very different terms from the world around us and from how we would maybe be prone to express it when we are more about our own thing rather than God's thing, as we're going to see this morning. It uses the picture of slavery and freedom, which were common to the slave markets of the day, to help us see that, that freedom is actually not always what we think it is. Freedom is less self-mastery and more having a righteous master. The reality is we all, we all have some kind of thing that has mastery over our lives and is in charge of our hearts. We all have the, the king that's on the throne of our lives or of our hearts. There are things, and that's what governs our affections and our ambitions and all the things we're chasing after with our lives. So we have this picture of freedom, which is a little bit messed up and a little bit mixed up. And it's important for us to understand that that freedom is less self-mastery because if we we have made anything master, then we we don't have the the freedom we imagine to have. It's more important rather than being our own master, rather than to to have a righteous master. Because if if I'm my own master, then I'm not a righteous master because of the sin that is in my heart that Luke prayed about earlier on. So self-mastery or being the boss of me, if we want to talk about it in those terms, or being the king of my own heart is plagued, plagued with sin. And, and, I, and because of that, if I'm pursuing self-mastery, if I'm pursuing freedom, which exists out with God who created me and loves me, then I'm prone. If, I, if self-mastery is, that, is the way that I'm pursuing it, if being the boss of me is the most important thing to me, then, then, and that's the thing that I'm pursuing, then, uh, then I'm going to be played with sin and I'm prone to being imprisoned by, the things, by, by those things that were really only ever freedom imposters in the first place. So maybe, t- maybe before we get into John 8, let's take Romans 6 to help us illustrate that a little bit. Um, it's going to be up on the screen for you. V- Romans 6 paints a, gr- paints a great picture of what we're going to be thinking about this morning. It, it describes in verse 16 how we are slaves one way or another. Either we, either we are slaves to sin, doing our own thing, and the consequences that come from that, or we're slaves to righteousness, which is obedience to God. So we're slaves to sin, which leads to lawlessness. So we're really refu- choosing our own way. We're, we're, we're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. We're either obeying our, our desires and the things which run contrary to God's will for us, or we're obedient to God. That's the choice we have. There are two ways to live, as somebody once said. So that's verse 16. Verse 19 goes on to say, so with those two choices in mind, we, we, we have a choice as to what we give ourselves to. We either give ourselves as slaves to impurity, which, which leads to lawlessness, which is refusing God and his plan for his creation, or we give ourselves to righteousness, which leads to living God's way. Again, so there's, uh, the first choice is, are we going to choose to be slaves to sin or, or slaves of righteousness? 
And, in, and with that, are we going to give ourselves, as in response to that, are we going to give ourselves to impurity or are we going to give to our, ourselves to living the right way, living God's way? Slaves of sin gave the, 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 the slaves of sin, maybe being, being this idea of being slaves of sin suggests to us that pursuing sin gives us a sense of freedom. But, but Romans 6 raises a question for, for us. What, in verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What it tells us is that if we give ourselves to sin, if we give ourselves to some, something else being our master other than God, then that leads to guilt and shame. But, the con, but running contrary to that is what it means to be a slave of God. And that, that's where we maybe feel uncomfortable with, with the idea of being slaves to anything other than our own desires. But being slaves of God leads to us being set free from sin. And the fruit you get from that leads to sanctification. So being set apart for God's purposes is what sanctification means and ends with eternal life. And then the famous verse, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have a choice. We, we can choose self-mastery, which is sin, which, which, which sets us on a trajectory of guilt and shame, or we can have God as our master, God as our ruler. We can be slaves of God, if you like. That's the picture. And look at that. We, the fruit we get leads to sanctification, so living for God's purposes, and ends with eternal life. The wages of living one way, the, living of the wages of choosing self-mastery is death, but the free gift of God, the generous gift of God, the glorious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news, and that's why the encouragement here that Jesus is giving to people is to consider where their freedoms lie and where they invest, invest their, their pursuit of freedom. So the key question around true freedom is exactly what Romans 6.23 says, is, is whether we are found to be in Christ or not, whether we are found to be trusting Jesus Christ or not for our lives, for eternity, for the, and the way our lives are lived in response to that. And that's a key question that's facing Jesus' audience as we return to John 8. Are they, are they ready to add belonging to believe in Luke, which it says in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, so they, it says they had believed in him, so they had stuck around. That was just at the end of verse 30, just in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So there were this crew. So Jesus is talking to these, this crew of people who, who have expressed some kind of belief in him. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. He, he's looking to encourage them to not just believe, but to belong. Not just to have a head knowledge, but to have a whole life implanted, planting itself in his, in his plan and his purposes. Jesus is giving them the means by which to assess whether they are truly his disciples, whether, whether what they have with Jesus is real or whether it's not. He talks to them about belief in truth that brings freedom. There's a belief in truth that brings freedom. That's what he's saying. True freedom comes from the, but, but, but true freedom comes from the very places we are prone to fight against following Jesus and being fastened to Jesus. Remember we said that we, 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 we reject those ideas we are, or we're reluctant about those ideas of following or being fastened to anything. But, but Jesus is telling us that if we want to truly be free, then we, that is found in following him and fastening ourselves to him. 
So, so freedom is, so here's some things that freedom is, okay? We want to redefine freedom for ourselves this morning. We want to see what it means to be free in Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be about. Everyone happy about that and excited? Are we excited that there's a nodding head? That's good, okay? So freedom is finding a place of security, first of all. Okay, freedom is finding a place of security, the more secure we are, the more free we feel. I think that's reality. I think we would, express, we would experience that in our lives. The more secure we are, the more free, the more secure we are in our, in our relationship. For example, the more secure we are in a friendship, the more free we feel to be able to, to share or to talk openly about what's going on in our lives. So more, the more secure we are, the more free we feel. The, the challenge is that the things we are prone to seek security in are, are prisons that pretend to make us free. Jesus is telling us, something important, telling us something important here. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And the word abide really means to, 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 to remain or to reside. As we've said already, this series is called Abide. And as we work through Jesus, we want to see and grow in our capacity to grasp the surpassing worth of staying close to Jesus. Jesus encourages those who would seek to be followers to abide in his word, to stay in his word, to make their home his word. That's what it's asking you to do and inviting you to do. To make our source of liberty, the security that comes from placing our lives in the center of his word. So we can be in his word or we can be out of his word. And that is related very closely to being in his will or being out of his will. So the picture is of making his word our home. It is that Jesus, by his grace to us, is building, us, is building or has built a secure place for us and the lives that we're living. So if we take the picture of abiding somewhere, we might imagine being in the center of something that we're in the center and there's walls and there's roof and there's floor and we're right there in the middle of that, that structure that's been built. We, we, we may consider that Jesus here is, as he's saying, abide in my word, is that Je- we may consider that Jesus is directing us to stay in what we might describe as a scripture structure. Okay, that's really what we're talking about, is that we would plant our lives, we would place our lives, that we would keep our lives, or ask, and asking God for all the help that we need for those things right in the middle of what his word says, because that's what leads to righteousness, living according to God's right plan. And, it's, and that picture of abiding gives us a picture of his word being the ground we stand on, the walls that keep us in the right place, the, the roof that shelters us in life's storms. That's what his word is designed to be for you and for me and for us. It's a picture not of passing through, but rather of putting down roots. It's remaining there, not just passing through in some way. If you like, the contrast might be between a hotel and a home. They might be structurally similar, but they have significant differences. Those of you who have been around about Harvest long enough know that I'm a big fan of hotel breakfasts, for example. I do really enjoy them a lot. But I wouldn't want necessarily want to, I might want to have them every day, but they're going to kill me if I do have them every day. Okay, there are some differences in regards to that. There's a difference between a hotel and a home. They've got a wall and a roof and floors. But it's not the, staying in a hotel is not the same thing as staying in a house. Staying in a hotel is not the same thing as staying in a home. 
there's some significant differences. God, Jesus here is saying, freedom is found in making my word and my will your home. To saying, to, to, to open your Bible and hold it in your hand and say, this is where I live. And this is what gives me life. It's a resolve to obey his word constantly, not just when it is convenient to you. It's a commitment to listen to him even when the message of the world around you seems attractively loud. It says, if you abide in my word, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So the implication is there that there's a possibility that you can be a false disciple, you can be a false follower. And the suggestion would be if being truly his disciples means planting your life in, and placing your life in his word and ho- seeking to live, to say, this is where I live, then the contrast is that a false disciple picks and chooses or ups and leaves when it comes to God's word and being faithful to it. A, fa- a false disciple picks and chooses the bits that they believe and they seek, seek to live out as long as it's convenient or it fits with them. And that's what self-mastery is, in how self-mastery can creep into our hearts if we're not careful. It causes us to pick and choose the bits of God's Word we want to believe or live, or ups and leaves as soon as it says something we don't agree with, or as soon as the going gets tough. If you're truly His disciples, His Word is where you live. And the encouragement here is to see that there is security in settling your life into what Jesus says and what Jesus is setting you apart for. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do when he invites us to abide. He designs to surround and shape and show us the security that only he can give us. He he designs to surround and shape and show you the security only he, he can bring through the power of what his word says and the way of living that his life invites us to surrender to. The freest way to live is faithful to Jesus. So freedom is finding a place of security. Second of all, it's finding a place of trust, which is connected in so many ways uh, to security. But it's finding a place of trust. Look what it says in verse 32. Look down with me if you would. It says, and you will know the truth. If you're, so if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you, you free. We, self-mastery, that idea of me being the boss of my life, me being the king of my heart, we trust so many things for our freedom. We believe that so many things can deliver, deliver on giving us the life that we want which is how we generally would define freedom. Freedom tends to be the life that I want, the life that I desire. And if we have that, then we feel free. But Jesus is telling us something so important here. If we are trusting the so-called truth of something other than Jesus, if we are believing something above Jesus, then we are trapped. We are not truly free. Freedom comes from placing our lives in the middle of his truth because it is the truth. And the alternative is not freedom, it's fakery. We, we've, got, we've got a puppy and we're, we've been able to take her to the park from time to time and we've got one of those extendable leads 
and, and, and she loves to run, and particularly when she sees another dog, and she'll, she'll, we, 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 she's on this kind of lead that comes back and forward, and you can lock it off, but there's only so much, so much lead on this. And so the dog will go charging towards another dog, so she wants to go so high, like doing this mad puppy running that it does, and then eventually reaches the end of the lead, and it's, and it, and it kind of flies way back, way backwards. It run, runs out of lead. And that's the picture of what the, the, these fake freedoms we often pursue. They, we run and we are overjoyed at the freedom they seem to give us, but eventually they, they, they haul us back to reality. We think we're free, but we're still on the lead. That's what these things do. Freedom comes from placing your life. True freedom comes from placing your life in the middle of the truth of Jesus Christ. The alternative is not the freedom you think it is. It is fakery. If your faith is... If, so faith is... If we, if we were to describe faith in practical terms of wherever you are planting your life and whatever you believe is most true... And if we believe that, that faith is wherever you are planting your life and whatever you believe is most true, and, we, then, and that faith is not in Jesus, then you're not really free. If, if you're not planting your life in Jesus, and if you do not believe that Jesus is most true, then you're not most free. You're not eternally free. Freedom comes from looking to Jesus. You see the truth about him and it sets you free from all the frantic and phony things you and I are prone to trust our lives to. And, and his listeners here are showing that they are trapped in complacent, comfortable, and some might say confused places of trust. Their place of trust was a national sense of entitlement or a religious self-righteousness and a measure of historical revisionism thrown in for good measure. Look how they respond. So Jesus has said, you will know the truth. If you're truly my disciples, you will abide in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. And and it says here, how is it that you say, but I hear it as, how dare you say you will become free? We, We are free. We are offspring of Abraham. They are throwing their minds back and basing their lives upon God's promises to Abraham that he would raise up a nation out of which would come the salvation that Jesus is representing. They're missing the point of what it means to truly be children of Abraham. And that's not the only point they're missing. They say we've never been enslaved to anyone apart from the Babylonians. Oh, in that time the Persians took us over, the Greeks... And, and try to ignore the Roman centurion who's walking past us right now to illustrate that we are under Roman captivity uh, right now. How is it you say we will become free? And, and again, as we've seen, if you want to track back through what we've, the time we've already spent in John's Gospel, there's, uh, there's all the other, all the other uh, messages from that are on our YouTube channel. They're there for you, or you can listen to the audio on our website. As we've seen as we've gone through John's gospel, there is this ongoing understanding that Jesus has come. There's this ongoing understanding among these Jewish listeners that Jesus has only come to trade in the here and now. They, want, they, they, they understand that the Messiah is going to be a king who's going to free them from this Roman captivity, and they're desperate for that. 
which makes their assertion that they are, they've never been enslaved to anyone all the more ridiculous. They just try to make him a king in order to receive, to, that he might lead them to freedom from that very thing. There's this ongoing misunderstanding that the work of the Messiah, the work of Jesus, was going to be material rather than eternal. And even when they've dealt with Jesus, they've, they, 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 they've struggled to get beyond the material to the eternal message that Jesus is proclaiming. They miss here that Jesus is talking about soul freedom rather than slave market freedom. He's, he's talking about eternal freedom rather than the everyday freedoms that they are longing for. And so slavery is a really helpful picture of what is going on in their soul because of the complacency and the self-righteousness that is going on there. I don't need Jesus. I'm doing fine, thank you. Do you know who I belong to? Do you know, do you know who I am? That's really what they're saying. Do you know who we are? Do you know who you're talking to? They, but all of that to say they are trusting in things that are temporary and freedom, freedom is found in trusting in something that's eternal and not something that's eternal, not, not something that's temporary. Jesus is telling us that when we abide in his word, we receive freedom from the things that will always abandon us. When you, when you abide in his word, you receive freedom from things that will always abandon you. All those things of self-mastery, all those things of pursuing your desires, all of those things that have you on the leash believing you're free only to haul you back at the critical moment. Jesus offers you in his word by placing you and allowing you to live in his word and in his will freedom from the things that will always abandon you. Abiding in God's word is at the root of Christ's redeeming work in us. So we might consider how the Bible gives us pictures of God's Word and how it is designed to shape our lives. If you want to spend some extended time on that, let me recommend Psalm 119 to you. Um, Psalm 119 is an, an amazing psalm. It's the longest chapter of the Bible. So uh, make yourself a cup of tea and sit down and spend some time and, and just marvel at God's Word. Let me give you some edited highlights to, to whet your appetite. Verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So his word protects us from the devastation of sin. Or, or, or how about this? My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word from verse 28. God's word is designed to strengthen us when sorrow threatens to overtake us. Or verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. God's word shows us the promises of God that help us persevere through our present problems. Or, or how about Psalm 119, verse 105? I'm not sure how many of you have that in your scripture memory index in your brain. Maybe it, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It, God's word shows us the way we should live. It shows us the way we should go. Or, or Psalm 119, verse 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life. Do you feel like that just now? Oh Lord, according to your word, give me life. So I was severely afflicted. Give me life, O oh Lord, according to your word. God's word breathes life in those who feel lost. Or we were thinking this morning about words that give us security in the, in the pre-service chat. How about this in Psalm 119, verse 114? You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. God's word keeps us in a place of protection. And in Psalm 119, verse 103, I just love this. 
Would that this would be our approach and our desire and our understanding of God's Word. Would that this would be true of us. Would that this be how we would express how we feel about God's Word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. God's Word is designed to bring joy to the very deepest part of who we are. So we can find, we can find in Him, we can find security, we can find trust. Verse 34 tells us that freedom is finding forgiveness. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So they've just said, how can you say you will become free? They remind us that we so often live with an illusion of freedom. So Jesus clarifies it, and he does it in the way that Jesus often does in John's gospel. Truly, truly, okay? Not just one truly, but two trulys, just to be sure. Do you get it? Do you get it? Just, this is the, listen to something that is totally true. That's what it's saying when he says truly, truly. He's, when he says truly, truly, he's saying you can state your life and your eternity on this thing that I'm saying that is truly true. It's truth. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone, now, note this, everyone includes you and it includes me, it includes us. Everyone, which means he's saying this to you, and it means that in his audience here in John 8, he's, he's saying it to each of them. Everyone, whether you're Father, whether you, you can sing Father Abraham with a sense of national entitlement or whether you can, whether you, you feel a, a sense of, well, I think I believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure. But here's the thing. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. It's something that affects everyone. It affects me, it affects you. Whether you're sat here in the church building or whether you're sat home in your sofa. Everyone who commits sin as a slave to sin. So there's not the opportunity for, the, for any kind of complacency. There's not the opportunity for any kind of self-righteousness. We are all, as Romans 6 puts it, slaves to sin. Now that can happen consciously or unconsciously. Consciously through the seemingly inescapable and overwhelming sense, sense of guilt and shame that we might carry or unconsciously because we don't see setting our life in something other than Jesus as sin. We just don't see it. Some of us are burdened with the guilt and shame that we carry and we don't know what to do with it. Some of us just don't care because we're living our best life now. Jesus' audience made that mistake. All the complacency, all their self-righteousness had caused them to miss a point. Externally, they might have an appearance of freedom. Externally, you and I might have this appearance of freedom. You might lay claim to some great heritage. Maybe your family always went to church. Maybe that's what it is. You feel a sense of security in your sense of self and what you belong to. But the reality, the equation is simple. If you, if you, if you, each one of us who sins immediately makes ourselves a slave to sin. That was as true for the Jews as it was for anyone else. That might be, they might be the offspring of Abraham, but they are also the offspring of Adam, who first rejected God. The, sin, the curse of sin crippled their spiritual projects even more than 
captivity, slavery, or occupation by foreign powers impacted their material prospects. See, we might lay claim to having freedom. We might say we live in a Western democracy, so of course we're free. Free to choose, free to, free to love, free to sin, free to work, free to go on holiday. All those freedoms we talked about earlier on, we might lay claim to having freedom. But, but while sin preys on our hearts and creates eternal peril, we are neither free nor safe. You see, sin is not as passive as we think it is. Jesus is telling us it, it, it affects us at the deepest part of who we are, and sin is sticky. It is prevalent and it is punitive and it creates pain for us and the only answer is Jesus. Jesus is telling everyone who would hear, who, who would hear him, Jesus is telling everyone who would hear him that you don't just sin and then move on untainted or untouched. If you surrender to sin, you get stuck. Sin convinces us that it serves us, but Jesus is telling us his word is truth, so we should listen to him when he's telling us something that we will always end up, rather than our sin serving us, we will always end up serving our sin. The point being that in ourselves, we are not defined as being in the family of God, but rather we are defined by being fickle towards God. That's what happens when we are, we are pursuing self-mastery. We're not defined as being in this family of God, rather being fickle towards God. It's only when we are in Christ that faith takes effect to make us both faithful and family. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to when he says, abide in my word, my word is truth. That's why we need to, that's why freedom is fourth of all, finding faithfulness. Relationship, freedom is finding faithfulness. I don't know if you have particularly close relationships in your life just now. Maybe you're sitting beside the person or people. Um, maybe it's someone you like to go and hang out with. Relationship, you know, the kind of relationships, they won't let you go and they won't let you down. That's what we need. That's what we need, those kind of relationships. The friend you can just be yourself with, the person who you can trust with everything. We, we long for those kind of relationships and we long for the freedom that comes from those kind of friendships. So the reality of a slave is that they are subject, subject to the whims of their master and the uncertainty that comes with how he will treat them. Verse 35 says, The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom is finding faithfulness. So the uncertainty for the slave is how their master will treat them. Jesus sums up, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever, so they will live the duration of their life with their, with, a, with their life significantly influenced by whatever they are mastered by or whoever they are mastered by. They live in the house, but they can never call it home. But the son remains forever. The son will out, most likely outlast them, outlive them, and his influence on their life will, 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 will go beyond them. So what hope does the slave have? What hope does any slave have? Well, the clue is in the contrast. Jesus' clue is in the contrast. The only hope for any slave was that someone in the family would smile on them and set them free. The son is the long-term ruler of the slave. The long-term master of the slave in particular would be, a, would be the key person in any kind of deal. 
It's the son who lives forever in the household. It's the son who has that position. So even if he was to die, then his son, so our son, would always be the one who has mastery in that house. That's what Jesus is saying. So now the eyes are lifted above the immediate earthly picture to an eternal freedom that rests in the hands of not the the, the, the household slave, the, the son who rules over the, the household slave, but the, the son who offers us the opportunity to be ruled by a righteous master. The, 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 our eyes are lifted above the immediate earthly picture to an eternal freedom that rests in the hands of Jesus as God's son. That Jesus holds out to those who come to him and trust in him. He offers to be the righteous master that your lives long for. He offers to be the righteous master that true freedom is found in. The son has the power to set the slave free. Jesus is telling us that he has the power to set us free from the slavery to sin. He is saying that to his listeners here. He is saying it through his word as we seek to abide in it here this morning. Jesus is telling you that he has the power to set you and me free from our slavery to sin. And isn't it amazing how he says it? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. No doubt, no going back, freedom. If he sets you free, you will be truly free, really free, free in the most real way imaginable. True freedom does not come from some sense of attachment to religious tradition or or applying yourself to some ongoing and regular ritual any more than than it is the vague sense of freedom we get when we indulge our desires. Those things will always be fickle and are ultimately destined to fail us. They are designed to point us to a greater reality of exactly what we sang before I stood up to preach. Lord, I need you. We need the faithfulness of Jesus, God's Son, who offers to set us free from our slavery to sin and who invites a far-off slave, which is you and me. He invites a far-off slave into his family as a son or daughter. And that's true freedom. True freedom is this. You will be really and eternally free when you abide in Jesus Christ. You will be really and eternally free when you abide in his word, when you live out his will as you see it here. And you say, this is where I live. When you place your life in the security of his plans and his purposes, which are good for you. And eternal. John is telling us that true freedom that finds a place of security and a place of trust and that finds forgiveness and faithfulness, that freedom comes about by finally being found in Jesus. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. So Jesus is finishing off and saying, there's two places you can live. It's It's a tale of two houses, if you like. You can abide in his word or you can choose to abide in the self-mastery of something else. It's a tale of two houses, the house of the slave or the house of the son. The house of a slave or the house of of the son. So where will you choose to abide? Will you choose to live in the house of the slave, being a slave to sin with your complacency and your self-righteousness on the leash, feeling a sense of freedom pulled back at the crucial moment? Or will you choose to abide in the house of the Son? Where will you seek with all your heart to stay? 
Where will you ask for God's help for your life to be planted and placed? Look at what Jesus says. I know you are offspring of Abraham, but the only, that only matters in as much as it directs you towards God. You, you say you're of this, the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because I want to say that. That's not a very Abraham type of thing to do. That's not, that's not really what was designed in what God, when God called Abraham and made promises to Abraham. That is not character or behavior in keeping with somebody who is really living out what it means to be related to Abraham in any way, shape, or form. His listeners revealed the nature of their spiritual allegiance in a very clear way. They were seeking to kill Jesus because of his word rather than being kept in Jesus by his word. Them seeking to kill Jesus is evidence of what? That his words find no place in them. They are not abiding in his word. They are not abiding in truth. So they are not experiencing the spiritual freedom that only he gives. Our behavior shows up the reality of who we are and where we're trusting. Our desires, our actions, our intentions reveal our heart realities. They reveal some home truths. Are we obediently abiding in his word or not? So what do, what desires, what do you, what, what desires, actions, and intentions reveal that there is a battle in your heart as to which house you are placing your life in? Jesus is saying to him, it's not about your spiritual heritage. It's not about going to church all your life. It's not the way your parents are bringing you up. If your life is one of disobedience of Jesus rather than the dependence on Jesus, then sin is damaging you in an eternal way. Jesus offers to make not Abraham our father, but God our father. Jesus is a measure of truly following God. Jesus is a means to true freedom in God. Jesus offers a way to be made, made, to be made part of the family of God. True freedom, if that's what you're looking for. I think that's what we're all really looking for. True freedom is found in listening to what Jesus says in such a way as lives out what it means to be part of the family Jesus has brought us into. Freedom is found when we allow the faithfulness of God and the forgiveness that we receive from God by being in Jesus make us into the family of God. That's what freedom is. Are you going to place your life there? Are you going to pursue that with all this life that God has given you? Let me pray. Father, we recognize and we want to confess just now how much we look for freedom in things that are nothing to do with you. And how readily we listen to the voices and volume of the world which is attracting and directing us towards things which uh, we, 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 we give a higher place in our lives than you. Father, we pray you give us eyes to see all of us at home or here in, the, in our church building this morning. You give all of us eyes to see that you would help us all to discern the reality of our hearts, to see the things that we're making a higher priority and that we're living for instead of you. To, to shine a light, we pray, expose the lies of the things we are seeking freedom in, which are nothing to do with the freedom that you offer us and actually are re-imprisoning us or are holding us captive when you offer us freedom in Jesus. Help us, we pray, to say about your word. Help us to say about your son, this is where we live. This is where we place our lives. This is what we long for and live for. Father, we pray that your faithfulness, the faithfulness and forgiveness you offer us would stir within us a fresh desire to live in a real and tangible, everyday way, the reality that points to the eternity we have as part of your family. Father, we thank you that we can have confidence in this 
If Jesus sets us free, then we are really free. Help us to live that out, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.